0: Hi. Tell me your tell me your name. I'm Erica Estes, and I used to be friendly and I was happy to get a short name that people could spell and say, and that that was good. Maybe that's why I got married to my husband. I'll have to think about it and see what I come up with. Tell me a little bit about your background. And I was born in Hamburg, Germany, in 1922. And I was the youngest of four girls. My father was kind of upset I was supposed to be a boy. It was really bad, and I'm sorry. But we made <laughs> do. Not cooperating. And um, my sisters were considerably older. They were the children of my father's first marriage. Mm-hmm. But I grew up with them. I, for years, didn't even know they were my half sister. But. Um, they went, all went abroad to study. I mean, I had uh, one of them studied chemistry in Zurich, another one Esperanto in Geneva, and my second sister was in um at the Sorbonne in France, mm-hmm. and I was at home and was really not supposed to leave. you know i I knew my parents needed me, and I needed them. I never thought of leaving. Mm-hmm. But, about you tell me about your father? He was a pharmacist, Mm -hmm. and he'd actually... My mother was from Hamburg. Her family has a long lineage of um, her forefathers who all lived in Altona, which is now part of Hamburg, but was then outside. Mm -hmm. In the old days, Jews weren't allowed to live in Hamburg. They could work there, but they couldn't live there, so they would live in the surrounding area, which was adjacent, actually, but there were gates there. They were big with gates, you know, in those days, the way we are today. And so they could come during the day and work there, and then at night they would have to go home. And so that's where they lived, in Altona, ultimately in Vanspick, but mostly in Altona. And your father had his own pharmacy? Yes, well, he, he was from um, the province of what was then and the province of Posen, and the little town of Genese, Today this is all Poland. Then it was John. Right. So he he wasn't from Hamburg, but he ended up. They had we had a very big house. My father had the pharmacy downstairs, you know, and it was great fun. Made his own medications. I mean, also Bayer already existed and that sort of thing. But he really did concoct. his had a big laboratory, and he concocted his own. I had medication. that had a little white jacket. Mm-hmm. had had made for me, and I was allowed to. Like the be assistant then mixed powder. <laughs> right. So, it was right. so excited. So, <laughs> and tell me what happened to your father's pharmacy. Well, in, in nineteen thirty-five, the Nuremberg Laws it went into effect, and they, you know, Jews could no longer own pharmacies. I mean, Jews could no longer. Doctors couldn't treat Germans, dentists, and so forth. But you had to close their pharmacies because they were poisoning most likely the German people and you couldn't trust them. So my father was upset. <coughs> and we had to sell the house and the pharmacy. I say sell. That's sort of a joke. And we moved to another neighborhood. It was really nice. We had lived in a not a Jewish neighborhood, a working class neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Now we lived in a nice Jewish neighborhood, and that was nice. Mm -hmm. And it was just me at home, you know, my sisters were all gone. Right. And then what happened? And Kristallnacht happened on um, November 9th to 10th. 1938 my 16th birthday was on the 14th of November and my mother had promised that I could finally buy a ready-made dress in that fancy dress store my sisters used to shop there but you children I mean they would I guess they were children's the store. I don't really know but we had a seamstress and she would make dresses, so that's what I wore. Mm-hmm. They were nice but I wanted one of those really nice dresses. So we went into the city, you know, the main shopping street and went to this really, really nice store. And it was on the ninth of November. Mm-hmm. And my mother bought me a beautiful dress, which I still have somewhere in my closet. It's not beautiful anymore, but it was. it was ever so pretty then. And but as we were coming out, there were newspaper boards. Nowadays, you have, you know, you have television, you have everything. And but the, in those days, if there was any kind of news, they would walk around the street and announce the news. The people who were selling the newspapers, you know. Mm-hmm. And it said a Jew killed a German official at the uh, French embassy. And so I was frightened and I asked my mother what's going on. She's just, just go home. And it's all right, don't worry. Because I was very protected in this family. You know, it's the baby. I was, I didn't know anything. So anyway, we went home. And the next day I, um... As usual, that was now the 10th of November. I got on my bicycle and drove and rolled my bicycle to school, I, like I did every day. But the streets were totally quiet; there was nobody out, and I always had to pass our synagogue. We had a very beautiful, big synagogue in Hamburg, the main synagogue, you know, to which we belong. And as I'm driving, as I'm getting close, I saw. So, police and SS, all kinds of people standing around guarding the building. It was boarded up, the, the doors were hanging, the windows were gone, It they had surrounded it with um, a sort of, you know, emergency fencing, I don't really know, there was glass all over the place. And I felt terrible because I thought, isn't that awful, they had a fire over here and that's just awful. No, I was perfectly safe on my bicycle. Nobody accosted me. Nobody said anything to me. I was really the only person out in the street. That's what I remember. You see, memory is odd. Maybe there are other people there, too, but I don't remember that. Mm -hmm. And I went to the Jewish girls' school, which by then all the Jewish children had to do, but I was there from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And um, when I got to my school. We always lined up in the courtyard. I couldn't get in. The whole place was locked. I was sort of perplexed, you know. I finally decided I'll try the front door. This was strictly forbidden, but I didn't know what to do, you know. Mm -hmm. I was not sophisticated at all. Mm -hmm. And I went to the front door and knocked. Finally, somebody came and This was my young teacher. Mm -hmm. was actually my teacher and she said what are you doing out I said well I'm coming to school we're supposed to have a math test today you know Mm -hmm. terrible math I slept with the book under my head Mm -hmm. and uh, she said for heaven's sake how could your parents let you out of the house I said I don't know she said well I'll tell you what get on your bicycle and go directly home and don't come out again for the rest of the day, or whatever. So I went back home. I mean, I happened to have, I I went home, there was nobody home. I mean, this is a funny story, which I do tell, so that people get an idea that this this enormity didn't really um, sink in until afterwards, you know, because we had lived since Remember this is thirty eight. Since mm-hmm. thirty three we had lived with these unpleasant conditions so for which were surely going to go away, weren't they? Right. Couldn't go on. People right. kept saying this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It just kept getting worse and worse. Well, but you know, you you're sort of living in this. It's different for us who lived in Germany mm-hmm. from the people who lived in Austria because the Anschluss was in thirty eight. Mm-hmm and immediately they were Kristallnacht. So for them it was different, it was sudden, and they knew they had to get out and go. Mm -hmm. We thought this was, we had lived with it. Mm -hmm. You gotta climatize, I guess, Mm -hmm. to some extent. And nothing dreadful had happened other than that my father had lost his business. That was pretty awful, yeah. Mm -hmm. But he managed, I don't know. See, I wasn't in on anything. Mm -hmm. so anyway I got I, I went to my friend's house she lived around the corner and I said what's going on here and she told me you know I mean the business is it's, it's, it's a it's a terrible thing Jewish businesses are destroyed and then I she said I'll take you home and and I saw you know I saw these big black lemon zines with men in black coats getting out of the cars and coming back down with other men so I mean by then I was Actually getting smarter, I realized they were collecting the men and taking them away. And, and so so I got around the corner. She went home. I went into my apartment. There was nobody there. And she said, just, you know, stay there and don't answer the door until your parents come home if they will come home. And, and you know, they knocked on the door or rang the bell. I don't know, my dog barked, but I wouldn't answer the door. So my parents came home finally, and I said, how could you do this to me? Where have you been? And so they explained the story. Mm -hmm. My father was an officer in the First World War Mm -hmm. with his pride and joy. He ran a a field hospital in Belgium. Mm -hmm. And um, he saved his uniform, had his uniform every, with had one of the Crosses that they gave out. He had been injured as well. And part of the uniform was a sword. And it's a ceremonial sword. It certainly, I mean, wouldn't even be able to cut butter with it, I'm sure. But during the night, an edict had come out saying that if a Jew is found with any kind of a weapon, he will immediately be incarcerated for for, I don't know, five years, 20 years, forever. Mm-hmm. And we were very law-abiding. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is how Germans are conditioned to be law-abiding. So he mm-hmm. decided he was going to hand in his soul, mm-hmm. And they also decided that they would send me to school so in case they came to pick him up, I wouldn't be home to see this disaster. I don't know how they figured. They, they tried mm-hmm. and figured out to things. shield you. All the and time. Didn't work. That was their job. Yeah, right. So they sent me to school and then immediately took a taxi, wrapped the sword in newspaper, and brought it to the police station.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When my father arrived there, he, he, he met a policeman whom he knew. I mean, he had all kinds of connections, mm-hmm. my father. I don't know how anything worked. I didn't know, I didn't ask questions. None of us knew my sisters, mother. And the policeman said, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I'm bringing you my sword. And I suppose, and the policeman said, you must be crazy, we're picking you up. And you're presenting yourself. He said, take the so-and-so sword and throw it in the bushes in the nearest bar. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did, and then they came home and told me this story, and I was flabbergasted. You know, it's an odd story, and and it always troubled me. How could they have done that? Mm -hmm. And when I came here, and I finally met my sisters again after 10 years, hadn't seen them for 10 years. Mm -hmm. I tried to tell them the story. They didn't want to hear anything. They wouldn't hear it. They wouldn't hear anything I had to say. Mm -hmm. It was just something that everybody wanted to shut up and didn't really want any part of. Mm-hmm. So wanted them to look what our father did. Look at this, look at the mindset of this very excellent, good German who, who was proud of his whatever the heritage was mm-hmm. and couldn't even get his understand that this was almost a question of life and death. It became so eventually. So anyway, that was the story. Well, when I went back to school, that same very nice teacher said to me, listen, you should tell your parents to send you to England on a, on a transport. Mm-hmm. You get a much better education there. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, goody, that sounds good. <laughs> I want a better education. And maybe in England I won't have to be scared all the time. I didn't really want to tell my parents because I knew that I wasn't supposed to leave. You know, I right. was supposed to stay. I was too stupid. They didn't, couldn't trust me anyway, but I did tell my father. And I said, well, my teacher said that I could get a better education. I knew that was the secret word. Education was very important in my family, and so they did arrange for me to go on at Kinder transport very quickly, you know. Yeah. This one, I was on the second one, which left on December the fourteenth. Oh wow! And Remember this is, how you, first, it? you were talking about November, and so it was just no, really the next month, just a month after my yeah. birthday. It was just because we were after the ninth of November, tenth actually, we were out of school for some days, you mm-hmm.
1: know.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I was too late for the first transport, but. I could make it if they would take me. What you had to do, these transports were meant for indigent children. They emptied out the orphanages and all that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of children like myself got on the... It it meant paying a lot of money. I have all the papers that... The the Germans were excellent. They they have records of everything. Mm -hmm. And I have that. I've never looked at it. Mm -hmm. So I was on the second transport. We were in the station. I tell the story, too. I talk to the children at my synagogue, and I always tell them this story because it's a human story, but it is one of rescue, ultimately. Right. So my parents took me to the station, and we all assembled, and this was... Done very um, big station outside of, in Alton, the main station. And so we assembled in the vestibule. See, there were lots of us. I don't remember anybody. Mm-hmm. My father was walking back and forth crying his eyes out and sobbing. I was embarrassed. What are you doing? How could you be doing this to me? I'm trying to be nice over here. And. and I remember this long blue coat flapping around his legs and crying, couldn't stop himself. And ultimately he blessed me and they let us on the platform, not our parents, just Mm us. The other people are remembering that everybody went on the platform. I don't remember that. I remember we weren't allowed. Mm -hmm. Just, and, and I couldn't look at my mother. Thought if she was going to cry, that would be it, you know. Right. And I didn't even say goodbye. I said, you know, ta-ta, see you later. I couldn't bear it. I had spoken to my father the night before, and I said, look, I'll go because I need this better education. I'm doing this for my education. But you will have to promise to come. I can't possibly be there by myself. I don't even know the language. I don't know anybody, and and I'll do this education bit, but please, you know. And he said, "Oh yeah, by all means, for sure." And so I left, and then nobody came, <laughs> and you had to adjust. Right. And it and was who hard. were you living with in England? Well, what well, what they did when we arrived, we we took the ferry from Hook of Holland to Harwich. This is an overnight trip, a ferry, you know. And in Harwich, they loaded us people like myself who didn't have a home to go to. Mm-hmm. You see, some of the children were three years and little. Right. They had home. Right. People had would pick them up and take them to their homes, but mm-hmm. people like me didn't, and there were loads of us. But so, how old were you? I was just 16. 16. Uh-huh. Yeah. And actually... I was one of the older, of course, but there were lots like me. Mm-hmm. And so they... We... heritage is in East Anglia, in England. It's on the um, East Coast, on the North Sea. And it was blustery because it was winter, you know. The, mm-hmm. the North Sea is brutal at the best of mm-hmm. times. And so they sent us to a summer camp. This was a summer camp. Remember, this was hastily organized by the British. Mm -hmm. They were wonderful to do what they did. Mm -hmm. And and so that's where we were. We stayed in little cabins. There was one great big um, assembly hall where we spent all our time. Couldn't be outside really. I have a really nice picture of my, A group of girls walking with towels over their shoulders. Mm -hmm. I'm in that picture. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where we stay. And then every weekend we would get all dressed up as best we could. You know, we'd have this little suitcase. My mother sent me some clothing, though. It was so cold, it was unbearable and wet. I didn't mind, you know. There were kids there. I was just one of the kids. So on the weekend, we'd get all dressed up, and, and and people would come to look us over and see if there was anybody there that they would be willing to take home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Nobody, I mean, nobody wanted me, for sure. I was already 16, and mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Who wants a teenager? Right. I mean, I've had teenage girls, so I know it's not easy. Ultimately, I, I think through a friend who was active in the neighborhood, in, in neighborhood, the neighborhood care committee for children took me over, and they did find me home. But they didn't want me; they wanted a boy. They sent me back. Oh. I went somewhere else. It wasn't very nice, but you know what? That that's all right. They did the best they could, and I survived. And, and I'm grateful to the British. Whatever mm-hmm. happened, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to grow up. People don't love you; right. they sort of tolerate you. Right. They've taken you in. And, yes, and 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 but I survived. There was a war; bombs were falling. Right. No food or anything. Right. You know. So I'm extremely grateful to the British,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I like to try and forget all of these details. Right. People have trouble doing that. They want to remember all of that, and I really don't. So um, how did you
1: find out about your... Were you still in England when you found out about what happened to your family?
0: Well, my parents were deported on July 11, 1942. And they were pretty much the last ones to leave Hamburg. After that, there were no Jews left in Hamburg and they were deported to Auschwitz and then killed immediately. Now, I didn't know that. My sisters did. They, What they didn't know is that my parents were deported. They didn't know any detail, but, you know, by then I had 42. I had two sisters living in the United States, one in Cincinnati, one in New York, and my third sister was in Geneva. And she heard from her, she had a friend accompany my parents and look after them. And they, it took, these friends took my parents to the train. And so she had all of the details. They knew. But my father, I have this letter, my, I have wonderful letters that my father wrote to my sister, which my niece, one of her daughters, translated and is, um, She's bringing them here so we can look them over and see what she can do with it. But in this letter, my father said, "Now, if you hear writing to, and this is to my, maybe to my sister Gerda because she was able, she was in Switzerland and could hear to the end. Mm-hmm. My sister Inge really couldn't after Pearl Harbor, you know, mm-hmm. uh, September uh, December 7th of 41." 41. So maybe this letter was to her. My father had... Because the deportations had started by then. hmm And my uncle was deported and other relatives, so he he was he didn't know what to expect. What he said was, if you hear that there's a change of address for us, please don't tell Erica. Mm-hmm. This poor thing is having enough... Pro- I, I must have cried to them full-time. I was so miserable. While you were them. in school. Always yeah. oh, horrendous. Yeah. And just don't tell her she's having a terrible time anyway. Please don't make her feel worse. And My sister, much older than me and should have had more sense, never told me. Mm-hmm. So one day, this was already in 1945, war was over in May of 45. I was living in a rooming house with a lot of other people like myself, mm-hmm. you know, German refugees, Mm -hmm. Mm Austrian, Czech, whatever Mm -hmm. and this woman came to my room and said, you know what, I just saw this little article in the Aufbau, there was this newspaper, I think it still exists, published here in New York, it was called Der Aufbau, it was German language and it was about um, by and about People like myself who had come here from Europe who, who were now had a little newspaper where you got the news. And then there was a whole section of advertisement. And she showed me this little advertisement. I think I have a copy of it somewhere, actually. And, in, and it said, has anybody heard about Paul and Irma Fondlich who were deported it sat to Warsaw in 1942, gave the exact date, July 11, and she said, that's like your parents couldn't be. I said, oh my god, I had absolutely no idea. no idea. Not the party, because my friends, I worked for the Jewish agency for Palestine, which was wonderful, that became my home,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and my family. And they would say, look, you 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 think you're going to be reunited with your parents? Don't be so sure. And they knew because over there everybody knew what was going on. They didn't want it publicized. Mengurian said no, don't talk about it. Concentrate on Israel Palestine and all that. But that but they knew, and they said you shouldn't be so hopeful. Bad things are happening, and I would say. Not my father, not my parents. He's so well-connected. I mean, he's this decorated officer from the first War. It can't be. Not my father. So when this happened, I was in total shock. I wasn't a baby. I was a big girl. I was 20, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I was beside myself. Every day I would go, I worked. In Bloomsbury, that's where the Jewish Agency for Palestine where I work had its building. And this was an an area where there was Bloomsbury House that's concerned with Jewish affairs and so on. And they would publish on the walls, you know, they would publish all these lists of names of of people who had been found mm-hmm. alive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Every day I went. I stood there and I cried, I could never find them. Mm. So, I mean, it took a while for this to sink in. Right. But it was an awful shock because I, my parents promised nothing was going to happen. And not only that, God was going to take care, that's another thing they promised. How could God do that? I couldn't understand it, you know, but it sank in, so that was not a good way. I. That's another thing I tried to tell my sister. I said, how could you do that to me? My father said they should. What's something. I don't know. They didn't want to talk about that either. But it was, it was rough. Oh my God. But you know what? There's a lot that you can manage to survive. Mm -hmm. And maybe the more bad things happen, the more you learn to manage, to make do, I can't say. Unless it wipes you out and you can't deal with it. I had a sister who couldn't. Mm-hmm. And I understand that too, very well. But the rest of us managed, right. you know? But this was how I aim was, what a crazy child of that wow. I'm just grateful to the British for rescuing me, I would be dead, you know, for sure.
1: If you hadn't been on the Kindertransport. Oh, yeah,
0: of course. You would have been with them. I mean, so few people survived those camps. And I was a scared kid and a miserable kid. I needed my mother, you know, Mm -hmm. practically to wipe my nose. So Mm -hmm. that wouldn't have worked for me. Right. But this, ultimately, was okay. That's very hard. I think about it, but not much. Okay. I'm a really tough.